welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening everyone. I am Ritika Gupta, Assistant Director at INFRI, Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhav Evam Niti Anusandhan Sansthan. Extend my heartiest welcome to you all to INFRI Hashtag Web Policy Talk. We are here for a special talk on an experimental experiment with open science in India, machine-edge tools for understanding economic development. This, this talk is part of the series, The State of Statistics, Hashtag Data Discourses, which is organized by Generation Alpha Data Center, which is Gen Alpha DC at Empre. Our speaker for today is Ms. Aditi Bhome. I would now like to request Dr. Arjun Kumar, who is director at Empre, to introduce our speaker further. So over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ritika. And I welcome all of you to this uh, very important uh, webinar today in the, at Empre's Web Policy Talk. Uh, under our series, the state of statistics, hashtag data discourses. And uh, for today's presentation, we have uh, Ms. Aditi Bhomik, who is Director India at Development Data Lab. And she'll be giving a presentation on an experiment with open sciences in India, machine age tools for understanding economic uh, development. And it's very pertinent as, uh, as the time uh, we are in that how to move ahead uh, especially now with all the physical distancing and several lockdowns. So very pertinent and we look forward to uh, learning more on this topic. Uh, let me just briefly introduce uh, Ms. Aditi Bhomik. Uh, Aditi is currently serving as Director India for Development Data Lab, uh, also known as DDL. Uh, DDL is committed to transforming the breadth and depth of open data in developing countries and specifically for India. Uh, DDL uh, is, is quite new and it's only about a year old and has been creating valuable open data products in the Indian development policy landscape. Uh, DDL is new in India, but globally it's, it's a very renowned uh, organization. In Aditi's current role, she is helping the organization grow in India, forging partnerships across government and civil society on behalf of DDL to identify exciting projects for DDL to take up. Prior to her current role, Aditi was pursuing a master's in public policy with a focus on economic policy at Princeton School of Public and International Affairs at USA. She has worked with the government of Madhya Pradesh and Tamil Nadu state in India to implement large-scale evaluation of government-led education and early childhood development programs. Aditi grew up across Uttarakhand, West Bengal, Jharkhand, and Odisha, and is happiest when doing field research related to gender economics in India. Uh, I also come from Eastern India and so much look forward to uh, your presentation today. So without any further ado, uh, let me welcome Aditi to share uh, her presentation and deliver her lecture. Aditi, over to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kumar, for such a generous introduction. And I'm just going to quickly set up my slides. Um, all right, so thank you everyone for making time and uh, both the actual time and finding the mind space to attend a seminar amidst everything that's going on. And thank you for the opportunity to, impre, um, uh, to create a, uh, for creating this platform. 
My name is Aditi Bhomek and uh, I serve as uh, Director for Development Data Lab. And I'll be taking about 20 to 25 minutes of your time today to present some of the work that we have been doing um, at DDL over the past year and a half with the aim of making a few key points about what the best policy approach uh, approaches are to design, manage, and use large-scale administrative data. As Dr. Kumar was mentioning, um, both in the first and especially in the more recent second wave, we have thoroughly felt um, the acute need to have free-flowing, reliable information um, for better govern governance and even for citizens to hold the elected um, governments accountable. So in the interest of time, I'm going to jump right in. The best advice that I um, ever received in graduate school was the principle of bottom line upfront, uh, which is what I'll be implementing today as well. At the end of the next 20 minutes, I would like every member of the audience to walk away with the following key points. The first is that a common geographical frame is the single most important aspect to focus on when thinking about India's data ecosystem. Now, what do I mean by that? If you can't link administrative data sets, for instance, you have the population census and you have the economic census. And if you cannot combine them um, at say the village or town or whatever geographical level, um, then the utility of both data sets becomes severely constrained. Second, open data access only leads to gains. In other words, breaking up the culture of working in silos has serious returns as we at DDL have realized throughout our work. Third, as of today, if any evaluation cell, you know, any state government in India today were to navigate to devdatalab.org slash shrug and log in, they would instantly have access to a range of open access data and ready to use CSV formats to assist um, their day-to-day -day work. And this data is available at the level they desire, at the district level, block level, village level, et cetera. We have been some of the first movers in the open data space in India. Um, and we have built a lot of knowledge about India's administrative data landscape, which I'm here to share with you today. Um, if you have a data related question in the Indian context specifically, there is a very good chance that we would be able to help right away. And we are always open to all calls for assistance. DDL is not a consulting firm. We're a nonprofit solely motivated by the overarching aim of transforming and trying to improve India's open data landscape. So like I was saying, the motivation for the work that we have been up to at DTL is driven by the need to unlock the positive externalities and you know, grow the pie, um, which is currently not happening because of limited collaboration across um, social science researchers, members of civil society, whether that's journalists, think tanks, um, public policy makers, um, government officials, and even the private sector. So this kind of broad thinking led us to develop the Shrug platform, which is both a data set and a platform for collaboration. I'll tell you more about it. It is our hope that the Shrug will become the Wikipedia of all things India development policy related in the near future. In today's presentation, I want to focus specifically on uh, lessons from our experience building and using the Shrug aimed specifically towards policymakers. So before I move on, an extremely brief history of uh, Development Data Lab or DDL. So our organization is about a year and a half old and is growing rapidly. Now is a particularly exciting time for us as we are charting our future in India's um, you know, development data space. 
the organization was essentially born based on a decade of work by Professor Sam Asher and Paul Nogosan. And their work mostly has been focusing on uncovering the determinants of growth and poverty in India. In the process of their work, they realized that they were sitting on a gold mine of data. And they realized the need for a platform such as Shrug and an organization such as DDL. And therefore, as of today, we're a team of about nine economists and data scientists actively trying to push the frontier um, where the principles of data science can marry those of social science research and policy. So DDL has a three-fold function. The first thing we do is we expand the range of open access, uh, immediately usable data sets available on the public domain. So there's the shrug that I'll tell you about. There's an open access COVID repository. We've developed, developed something called the shrug atlas. We've put out um, the largest open access judicial um, system data set in the world. So I'll give you some concrete examples of what these data products are. Um, these are all public goods. Um, at least we hope that they will be public goods that would benefit a whole range of actors. Another thing that we do is we assist central and local governments on a bunch of data infrastructure projects. Um, one example is we have an ongoing collaboration with NITI-IO. Uh, we're helping them develop something called the National Data Analytics Program. It's a platform. It's very much um, a work in progress, but the idea is to kind of build on this principle of open access data that's linkable across domains, uh, but kind of embedded uh, in the institution, kind of embedded in how the um, government functions and how various government departments integrate that data. The third thing that we do is we leverage the movement of data that we ourselves put out to try to push the frontier of social science research that's coming out of India. Um, I spent some time quickly going over how the theory of open data, open data science is supposed to work. So the idea is that you have a bunch of researchers who spend a lot of time um, painstakingly creating new data, and then they analyze it and they publish their results. After they've done that, they go ahead and open up their data for public use. And the hope is two things happen after that. You have other researchers replicating their findings, adding more nuance, or you have researchers or journalists or whoever um, using their data to answer entirely different questions. But with most, most things, there's a vast ocean between theory and practice, even here. Um, water everywhere but not a drop to drink is the best way to describe India's data ecosystem at the moment. You have a lot of researchers doing incredible work, but the work oftentimes happens in silos. And um, it's not it's not that the researchers are so evil that they're hoarding the data and you know they just want to publish their own stuff. That's really not the case. Um, the fact of the matter is it is very, very difficult and it takes a lot of upfront investment and resources and time and careful thinking to create public data products. It's not as simple as just posting your code and the underlying intermediate data set you did the analysis on. Um, so, Currently, the incentives, um, the institutional incentives are lacking to push researchers um, to think about collaborating to create open access um, data sets. Similarly, the Indian government has a massive digital exhaust. Every year, several censuses, uh, large and small, um, every few years take place. However, government departments often produce data again in silos, and these data sets do not speak to each other. As a result, you can't use them in conjunction. Um, the NDAP program that I just mentioned that is in the works with NITI is a step in the right direction. Um, in the current scenario, keeping data private just requires a lot less effort. 
Um, as a result, the data that's actually out there in the public domain is often of limited use to um, future users as we are finding out. So, uh, but then, which is why the organization DDS was created and the principle uh, we run on is that data must be a non-rival public good that benefits everyone. With this broad guiding principle, the shark was developed, which is also an example of how there's a lot of room for frontier data science tools to be linked with um, social science research. Okay, so what is the shark? I've mentioned it about 10 times by now. So it's the socioeconomic high resolution rural urban geographic data platform for India. It's quite a, quite a mouthful. So uh, it's widely known by, by its acronym. Um, it is currently the largest open access socioeconomic geocoded data set in the developing world. Um, the shark basically covers all of India's um, 500,000, roughly 500,000 towns and villages um, over a decade of 25 years. And for each of these towns and villages, you have multidimensional data. You have data drawing from the socioeconomic caste census, the population and economic censuses, remote sensing satellite data covering night lights, forest cover, electoral um, data. You have data at the industry level um, for all um, firms, 50 million plus firms. Um, you have consumption data, your productivity data. We have uh, very recently we've also put out data on criminal activity. So there's a lot going on and it's all out there ready to use and it's all linked. Um, so the USP of the shark is really two things. One is the linkability across data sets, but also linkability over time. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. So like I mentioned, the shark is not only an open access data set, it's also a collaborative platform. It also keeps growing. So the idea here is uh, while the shark is being used by thousands of researchers across universities for their own research, they also then go ahead and contribute their data back to the platform. As a result, whenever the shark users end up using their component of the data, they're supposed to cite the researchers who made the contribution. For instance, just earlier this year, we had um, researchers contribute RBI data. Um, it's very rich time series data all the way from 1947 um, till very recently at the village level and town level, it tells you the number of bank branches, private, rural, foreign, that were open every year. And of course, it's linked. Um, they contribute to the platform and we work on linking it to everything else that already exists in the platform. Um, similarly, we had several researchers contributing to an open access uh, COVID data repository that we have built and I'll um, talk a little bit more about that. And of course, like I was mentioning, the shark is the backbone for all of the social science research DDL itself produces. Uh, some of which has looked at the local impact of large-scale government programs, some of which has studied mobility uh, across generations. Are you likely to do better than your previous generations, um, depending on where you were born in India and depending on what community you were born into? There's also uh, recent work that has come out on the political economy impact of mining booms. Do mining wealth booms lead to more criminal activity? of elected politicians. So lots of interesting research also coming out of it. Um, keep watch, watch the space for Shag 1.5. It will be coming out soon. And uh, for all villages and towns, we'll be putting out rainfall and temperature data. Uh, we'll be putting out data on panchayats and parliamentary constituencies, um, intergenerational mobility measures that I mentioned, 
Uh, we'll have refined measures of urbanization, including segregation, and we'll be having air pollution data, uh, specifically 2.5 particulate matter data. So that, that will be uh, coming out pretty soon and it'll be open access and linked to everything as usual. Okay, so like I was saying, the you know unique aspect of the shrug is this common geographical frame, which I stressed on at the very beginning of the presentation. The issue is that the Indian census locations change in terms of geographic identifiers every 10 years. And the reason that is, is because geographic units themselves change. You have districts splitting, new districts cre getting created, new states getting created. And then you kind of, if you take the 1991 uh, population census, and if you want to match it to 2001 census, you have to sit down and figure out which village goes to which district and how does it match? Was a village a town in the previous census and so on? So lots of things are changing. So what we've done is we've created our own geographical unit called the shrimp. Um, it's, it's a polygon that is fixed across all of the data sets that exist on the platform and also over time. So time series analysis, including five different data sets that would probably take say two years before can now happen in a matter of minutes. Well, at least in a matter of weeks, uh, just because we have provided these uh, keys to link every component to each other. All right, so as promised, the rest of the presentation, I'll be talking about use cases of um, data sets, such as the shrug. Why open data? What is the policy impact on it? Um, something that I've already hinted at, um, having open access, high quality, immediately usable data is very useful for accountability and both by the government as well as citizens to study the impact of um, large scale government schemes. Um, such as the impact of Narega. Uh, I'll be presenting some findings on the impact of the Pradhan Mantri Gramsarakhyojana. We have some ongoing work on the impact of um, all of these canals, large-scale canal infrastructure projects that have taken place in the country and so on. Um, a very important contribution of having high-resolution data at the level of the village and town is that it makes targeting of government poverty or welfare programs so much more effective. Right? As of today, if you plug a village list into the shrug, you get about 30 years of multi-dimensional data about the particular village. Um, just a few numbers on targeting. Uh, we did a poverty mapping exercise and um, arrived at a gain of around 12 percentage point if you move from targeting to the state or the district level. Um, and um, you know, others have found an improvement of 23 percent in coverage or targeting of um, poverty in Mexico when you move from state to um, the village level. Um, governments often do want to target at the narrowest level possible, but they're often limited availability of data. And that's the gap uh, we have been aiming to fix. The other point is the data is ready to go. It's plug and play, right? If you know what you want, you can literally go into the platform right now, download what you need to and work with it. And in fact, a lot of our journalist friends at the Hindu have been doing that. Uh, I don't know how many of you all follow the data point um, little figure that appears in the Hindu, I want to say every day. Um, so leading up to the Bengal elections, they actually ended up using some of the open access data for constituency analysis, doing socioeconomic data breakdown of the constituencies that were going into voting every phase of the election. So it's really great to, I mean, this is the kind of collaboration that we had hoped for across serious academic researchers, um, civil society, uh, think tank on the ground um, kind of entities and um, you know policymakers. And of course, we've also put out, uh, we've created something called a Shrug Atlas. 
Um, so this is still a beta version product, and um, you know you have a bunch of indicators, and you can select, you can zoom in all the way to the village level, zoom out all the way to the um, you know national level, and you have ready-to-go maps for all of the very many reports that all of us work on every single day. But assuming that you know you're working in this development and policy space. All right, so a couple of a uh, few more detailed use cases. Like I had said, you can use open access data sets such as the shrug for evaluation of large scale um, government policies. So, you know, there's a Pradhan Mantri Gram Sarat Yochana under which around one lakh new roads were built across the country, um, uh, rural India uh, over 2000 to 2015, that decade. What was the impact on the local economies? Um, to answer this, we would need to link the population census to the economic census, to the socioeconomic caste census. We would need satellite imagery data and the Pradhan Mantri Gram Sarat Yojana administrative data. Uh, to answer this in a holistic um, manner, in the absence of the shrug, a common geographical frame across all of these data sets would have been the barrier. Um, but since that gap has now been filled, professors Asher and Obasad have written this paper that was out in the um, American Economic Review very recently, and the findings from the study, if you're interested, is that uh, the construction of the new roads did not affect consumption, did not affect local entrepreneurship in the villages, investment or agricultural productivity, but they did help people get jobs outside of the villages, which makes sense. <clears throat> Again, the point of this presentation is not to debate this particular program. This is just illustrative of the use cases and what is the policy impact of you know, an open data approach. All right, another use case in detail is suppose you are the health secretary of a particular state um, or you know you, you're at the uh, you're at Niti Aayog and you've been asked to figure out which parts of the country need more resources to build primary health centers what do you what information do you need uh, to target effectively you need to identify precisely the areas that have the highest need so let's start with a map of public health facilities <clears throat> at the district level. As you can see, there's a lot of variation. So this is the number of health facilities, public health facilities per district. Let's zoom into MP, because um, it looks like a lot of districts that are in need are concentrated here. Um, but even within Madhya Pradesh, there's a lot of variation. So let's go a level further, right? If you have the data, you can do things like this. Um, district level data, like I said, is not sufficient for targeting. So let's map villages which have a public health facility. Now, public health facilities are only telling you half the story. Let's also look at private health facilities. As you can see, that adds more color to the picture. Um, but we also need to bring in population. We need to understand, um, you know, it's it's more serious if you have no health facilities, but you have a sizable population. So let's, let's stitch population data <coughs> to this exercise. What you see in the map is villages uh, the population of villages that have no health facility and they've been split into different categories. So here in red are the priority villages we were in search of. These are the 74 villages in Madhya Pradesh that have no health facility and a population above 5,000. You can even go a step further and identify, <coughs> excuse me, the next in line priority villages. Um, you know, uh, these are in orange are the thousand villages in Madhya Pradesh that don't have a health facility, but have a population above 2,500. This is, of course, a fictional exercise. I just wanted to walk you through how having granular data really improves precision of targeting. And also the ability to combine, in this case, the health infrastructure data with the population data, right? 
So now during the pandemic, entities were putting out data inside, putting out impressive data. Um, for instance, there's COVID19India.org that has been putting out daily district counts of total deaths, total infections, and more recently vaccinations. So we also got to work and kind of try to um, use our tools and uh, the ability to rapidly link different data sets. So we've linked the COVID-19 data, district level COVID cases, deaths, uh, vaccinations, incidents, and so on. We've linked it to administrative uh, data from the censuses on health facility at the uh, health infrastructure at the district level, demographic distribution at the district level, uh, as well as a number of um, other factors. And all of this has been put out uh, in an open access COVID data repository that you can check out at datalab.org. Um, just this morning, we collaborated with social, uh, a team of social science researchers led by Professor Anup Malani. So they have basically been calculating the COVID risk projection at the local, at the district level. So we've kind of collaborated with them to build this website. And the idea is that policymakers, aid organizations can check this website that's getting updated daily and they can identify which districts the pandemic reproduction rate is greater than one. That is, it will be spreading rather rapidly versus where it is less than one to kind of have a sense of which districts will be approaching their peak next week and so on. And kind of the idea is to have real time information and to kind of adopt uh, the pandemic policy response accordingly. Again, this is an example of how, of how an open data approach and collaboration across social science researchers really only leads to positive um, externalities. <clears throat> this is also just an example of the kind of things that can be done with the Open Access COVID repository. This is something they created last year. If you all remember, when the first lockdown was announced, there was a lot of worry about hunger. Um, you know, the Mondays were closed and so on. So what you're seeing in red is the uh, tons of food arrival uh, using AdMark data at the Monday level. And you see there's a sharp decline from when the lockdown was announced, but thankfully it picks up once the um, economy reopens and so on. And in the background, you have daily COVID cases. Again, this is just to show you that this is not just another dashboard. There's really multiple components that are linked together and it's really up to the user what they're looking for. <clears throat> Again, the principles of the COVID platform too are the same and um, the data is available at the district and sub-district level in some cases, um, ready to go uh, CSVs. And you have a bunch of information on there, um, you know, that hopefully can help policymakers or, um, you know, a lot of journalists. Again, the human data team has been using this data as well uh, for some stunning analysis. All right, so that's the end of my presentation. I just wanted to go over the key points I promise that you all should walk away with. Number one, I cannot stress this enough, the importance of common geographical identifiers across data sets. Linkability has been the USP of the shrug. And as you can see, it has really expanded the spectrum of the kind of things that can be done. Data should be open access. I mean, um, kind of having this open access approach has led to collaborations that would not have otherwise happened. A single researcher, a single research team does not have the imagination to ask all of the questions that can be asked using a particular data set, or does not have the imagination to think of all of the potential use cases of a particular data resource. 
geographic disaggregation is so very important. Oftentimes, policy is made based on state level data because district and subject district level, uh, level data is just not um, available. We have tried to change that with a shrug. You now have open access village and town and neighborhood level data uh, across a number of uh, variables. Like I said, we at DDL are forever happy to assist and collaborate and brainstorm exciting projects and kind of think through everything open data related, especially right now, to help in any possible way to deal with the challenges and to deal with the devastating tragedy that we have all been witnessing. Thank you, that's everything I had. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 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 Thank you. Am I audible? Some connection is coming today. Am I audible? Adit? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay. yes. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for uh, this very uh, great presentation and the work you're doing. I have noted down a lot of questions, but many questions have come. So should I go through them? Yeah, however you want to do it. Yes, there are also many questions on the Q and A, and uh, public opinion data. Most of the these things are only also about how we can use. Okay, so th there is uh, one question: How much cooperation do you get when you are talking to people and leaders at the village level? Uh, do you uh, <coughs> do you do ground level studies? How do you source all this information? How can short and medium term planning be made when the data is outdated? How do you partner with lesser digitally literate people? Are you also promoting digital literacy? Uh, are you using data collected by DES of different states and district level? I, I, I'll go through, actually, let me just go through the questions okay. one by one, by one uh, just so that um, I will start with the questions that I see in the chat to everyone. So uh, Tanisha, who I believe went to my school, I think it's the same Tanisha that I'm talking about, also went, went to Cornell, the same place I did my undergrad. So she's asking about whether there's documentation for how the geographic identifiers were created for the shock data set. Yes, there's a working paper that has been I think it's already published on the World Bank uh, Economic Review. Uh, it's a policy paper. I can send this across to you, Kanisha, if you're interested. But you can look it up. Um, I think if you just look up Shrug, Sam Asher, Paul Novosad, Tobias Lund, you'll be able to find it. It has all the documentation of how the Shrug was put together. <clears throat> all right, so there's nothing else here. And I'll just go to the Q&A quickly. The first question about how much cooperation do we get when we're talking to people and leaders at the village level? Do we do ground level studies? How do, you, how do we source all the information? So the way I like to think about what we do is we do not reinvent the wheel. Like I said, the Indian government is already collecting so much data. It makes no sense to then go spend a, you know, a lot of research funds to collect data on information that already exists. The issue is uh, the reason People often end up doing that is partly because the you know administrative data that is out there requires a lot of cleaning. It's not ready to use. It took us it took us years to get the data to a usable format. I mean, before putting out the data, we do a lot of validation across data sets. I mean, there's there's just a lot of work that needs to be done, and uh, we impute a lot of measures when there's missing data. 
Um, so it took us all this time to set it up. So again, I guess what I was saying is we, we are not um, primary data collectors. We mostly work with secondary data. The idea is let's not waste the resources that are already out there. I like to joke, uh, you know, my the way my mother puts it, it's almost like we're not going and buying fancy new groceries and instead we're trying to first look at what's already in the fridge and trying to make something delicious out of it. Um, so we aren't program implementers. We are mostly a research focused organization. So we're not designing um, program policies. That said, we are now in conversation with certain state government departments and we're now with, in conversation with some policy makers to figure out how we can use the open data products we have created to dem democratize data. And is it possible to kind of, for instance, empower um, government officials all the way to the village level using, I mean, if you know information about how your village has been performing over the past decade, you would know exactly what the shortfalls are and you'd know what to work on. So that we are now moving in that direction, but so far we haven't really taken part in active program design. All right, let's see. Yes, a lot of data is fudged, mostly a lot of data that doesn't showcase good analysis of public policy is often not put up. At times when it is available, there's a lot of discrepancy on the same indicators. What are your suggestions to type through it? I mean, unfortunately, that is true, but um, the, the data that's there is enough to give you a signal of what is going on, right? And what do I mean by that? I, I was talking about validation. You can benchmark against, you know, you have a number of surveys that are happening at the, uh, say, a smaller scale, and you can benchmark the uh, estimates you're looking for. And you, you can look at what is the, it's almost like an audit, you look at what is the uh, magnitude of difference um, that others have found versus what you're finding at the nationally representative scale. So um, there have been a lot of um, checks that have been put in place. I mean, you can go through the shark paper I was mentioning before um, to kind of uh, understand technically what we did for validation of the various variables that we have put out and put out detailed documentation uh, for every data set you'll download and we've created flag variables to kind of alert the user that okay um you know you'll have a flag variable if the population is looking funky um you say i'm just making this up you, you you can expect to see a population flag variable if it's seeming too funky given what you know about the place and you can triangulate creatively given all the variables that are um, in the data. I think the guiding principle is to not depend on a single source uh, and kind of always match multiple sources. And uh, which is also why we, I mean, the data hosted on the shark is not just, I mean, we have the administrative data, but we also have data collected by independent researchers. We are also now looking into data that is collected by the private sector. And these are all pieces of the puzzle and you string it all together and you hopefully have a clear picture. Should there be a central data agency having only those who specialize on data as a stuff? So I, I personally think that must be the Ministry of Statistics um, of the Indian government does do a pretty good job, does do a substantially better job than a lot of uh, countries in the developing world. Um, I think there is a capacity issue which would always be expected given the scale of you know, the governance uh, challenges in India. Um, I think the National Data Analytics Portal, like I was mentioning, is a step in the right direction. If you know, if it manifests, it can be a great resource. It can be kind of like, you know, when we do international comparisons, we all jump to, to the World Bank's World Development Indicators Portal. It would be like having something like that for India if we're able to pull through. 
Um, how can short and medium term planning be made when the data is outdated? Um, I do agree. The issue becomes that, I mean, most recently available population census data is from 2011. But I mean, you also have um, different data sets operate on different timelines. Uh, that said, despite the most recent population census data coming from um, 2011, those figures are still useful. Um, you know, they give you a baseline measure. For instance, say you're looking at vaccination per capita and you're using the population at the district level for 2011 to arrive at that figure. Um, while the vaccination rate you arrive at is likely going to be an overestimate because the current population today in districts will be much, much higher. But it, you, know, you can then make assumptions that perhaps the population growth rate uh, for districts have been changed dramatically in different places. And you'll still be able to at least say something with a measure of confidence about the degree of disparity in the vaccination rates. Right, so it's it's something uh, rather than operating in the blind. So the, the idea is basically to work creatively with what you have. Uh, have you experienced through working on different data sets that there's a tendency to make data look a certain way? Do you notice a subtle politics behind it? You know, just to give you a sense of the scale of the data we work with. For instance, the data set we put out most recently the judicial system data set. It's a data set of 80 million legal records. <laughs> when you're operating on that kind of scale, I think it takes some, I think it takes some really sophisticated planning to, you know, uh, it takes some really sophisticated planning to distort the image um, on all of these massive data sets that we are working with. Um, so I do think having worked with the data that there's a lot of there's a lot of useful information that is there that we haven't leveraged enough. And uh, I think even if we have uh, both policymakers as well as citizens, right? If we have induced people uh, to move towards the culture of evidence-based thinking and evidence shaping their opinion, I think we've already made a difference, right? Uh, so often we are in living rooms where you know you have um, uncles and aunties and friends and everyone has opinions, but the opinions are often not backed by um, information. So I think kind of, um, but I, I, I think that is changing. There is a growing appetite for data in India. You see that in the kind of journalism, um, uh, you know, data-based journalism has really been exploding in the country. So I think that is changing. And um, I think we as citizens, um, uh, appetite for being informed and kind of relying on statistics to have informed opinions and then based on information then holding the government accountable. I think all of these things are a step in the right direction. I do think that ultimately transparency and you know like a sunshine effect makes for a better democracy. So I do think I, I do think open data is the way to go. Right. You can just yes, just choose. Let me also come to some of the remarks. But first let me just on uh, just ask you this question that what do you suggest uh, as as for the topic of today's discussion open science and uh, machine learning for uh, economic development uh, what do you suggest the data enthusiasts that which path to go what to learn uh, which skills to garner and which softwares to uh, to look forward to as you mentioned the the 
shrug platform which you have developed which uses high quality geographical data uh, so uh, many people you know look into gis and, and different kind of analysis what would be you telling to also the young enthusiast and also i would say not so young uh, enthusiast because they also look forward that how they can use uh, i was especially saying this for the practitioner or those who are, who are from bureaucracy and uh, as you know most of the people would not go into learning all those technical things but rather to look into the application part most of the question of village and other levels have also come so that was one part if you can uh, just touch upon that uh, second question uh, uh, or just the comment also i wanted to uh, uh, have your views most of our schemes now have mis for example swachh bharat mission have mis our health we have hmis and uh, now uh, i also work on housing and infrastructure these project uh, now for many of you know the beneficiaries uh, uh, the the installment it is necessary to have geotagged be it uh, you know awas house and toilet for most of the scheme uh, but you know when we see into the effect 3 4 5% is is you know compliance of this geotag data so how do you see the the upcoming geotag data and there is also lacune when we talk also about our hmis data or high frequency data uh, for the program data when we especially talk about development uh, there is 10 20 30 i have also written extensively in pw and other places there is around 20 25 30% of discrepancies in most of the developed countries they take it very seriously just like the mca 21 data or the income tax data so how do you see this conundrum in india when especially you are uh, uh, using the data from various sources what are the complication or issues you face uh, for the issue of credibility because uh, we are getting data let us say from uh, government or any private institution and when you go back with your analysis even they will not accept it so what were the challenges you faced uh, developing this or arriving at at the decision uh, having your evolved press uh, processes a uh, few more questions i have but why don't you uh, cover these two and and uh, yes share your views that's good so for the first aspect on you know how to work on one's own kind of uh, data literacy and how to really uh, you know bolster one's data skills just you know in the spirit of absolute transparency i by no means have an academic training in computer science or anything in undergrad i studied economics and political science and when i did my when i went into field research i barely knew a few commands on stata so for me personally work learning on the job has um, has really been the part to progress but not everyone ends up in uh, a policy research job you know i once did take a computer science class when i was um, in my undergrad and i uh, did spectacularly terribly i think the issue for me was i personally can't grasp a tool till i understand the point of why i need it in the first place so i'm personally not excited about figuring out the latest python package i personally am not interesting just like that to figure out how to scrape um but when the context of an important development policy question comes in place that's when it becomes exciting so i guess that's the principle i would like to share that your question needs to be interesting you know india has no dearth of amazing data scientists right uh, we've seen that recently with the vaccination dashboard that came out so many people wrote all these python scripts so that you get automatic post notifications so i don't think that is the problem i 
Um, I, I think I think we need to have some training in terms of putting a structural framework. You want to do some data analysis, great, but doing data analysis just for the sake of it doesn't make sense. Uh, is your question important? Does it? Do you need to do the analysis? I mean, is it useful? Why are you asking the question? Like, what is the so what of it? So I think that's the first step. Um, I think that is a very interesting skill. Um, you first kind of arrive at, okay, when faced by a challenge, what is the question that we need to answer? For instance, if you look at uh, the COVID second wave, what, what are the missing data points? I mean, I would personally like to know um, the number, the share of those who are infected in the second wave, what share of those are reinfections? You know, what share of those are people who have been infected once before? I think that's a very interesting statistic. So, you know, first pausing and thinking about what are the questions and then kind of going hunting for, okay, what is your data wish list? And then kind of doing the search for the data. In terms of practicing it, you know, in your personal life, even if you don't have, you know, you may be working in private equity, but you still may be interested in kind of garnering these skills. Um, I blog a lot on Medium and I know it's, it's a free platform. I think just picking a, a question that interests you um, finding the data that you want and even doing analysis on Excel, right? Uh, if, if you have a compelling story in mind, and I think that's a pretty, I, I like to develop that skill, right? To be able to tell a data story. So there's a lot of things, asking the right question, um, then figuring out what exactly the information you need, then doing the analysis on platform of your choice. You can do it on Excel, you can do it on Stata, you can do it on R, you can do it on Python, you can use the free data that it really doesn't matter. Is the question you're asking interesting? Uh, are you being able to do the analytical work of figuring out, okay, what is the information I need to answer the question? It's, I, I like to think it's kind of almost like being a detective, right? Like once you've identified the problem, what are the steps you need to take? It's practice. Um, I think, you know, do, do these things on your personal blog, try to um, write these data stories and, you know, I picked up everything on the job. And of course, there's no blueprint. My advice is based on my own experience, so it's biased. Um, someone else you speak to will probably say that you know taking a lot of these uh, uh, open source courses um, is something that you know may work for some people. I have tried teaching myself art a lot of times and you know have just kind of given up. And like I was saying, unless and until there's a goal. And there's a reason for why I'm doing something. It just doesn't stick. Uh, your second question was on this move towards. Oh, no, RFP, and... just, just to stop there. Right. So, are, are you suggesting Stata, if not RFP? Oh, no, no, no. I have no stake in this data versus R or whatever. I, I really don't care. You know, what I care about is like, are you asking the right questions? I am not married to any kind of uh, data analysis platform at all. Like I said, I'm more of a social scientist by training and to me the interesting thing is the questions we're asking and the meat of the analysis we're doing and not how we're doing it of course i i feel very happy when i've written a very clever piece of code and you know when i've been able to, there are so many ways of uh, performing a particular analysis and you know code can always be more sophisticated you can always automate what you're doing and i feel very happy when i'm able to do it neatly and figure out different ways of doing it um, but that's not what I'm in the job for. I'm in it for the questions, right? So, yes, yes. 
in so many parts of the country right and we are talking about like geocoding and real time uh, monitoring uh, which is why i think that before we get fancy we need to work with what we have right um, for instance you have the nfhs data um, that came out recently you have all of this administrative data you need to kind of collate them together and then um, let me let me think through where i'm going with this i think jumping on like the make everything uh, technologically savvy uh, bandwagon without kind of having the capacity on the ground to do it may be a mistake um, because you know it it may lead to kind of policy failure on the ground so i think in a lot of places just your traditional door to door survey is still the way to go of course you know this i know i know now we move to like digital data collection over paper surveys and so on i mean that's a step in the right direction so there is incremental improvement in how we're going about things um but i think we're still many years away from having everything immediately recorded and having digitized health records across the country i mean for instance during the pandemic we're having such a difficult time figuring out how many how many deaths we have you know how we are being faced with um because there are deaths happening inside the hospital there that's happening at home so it's it's a hard question what what are we trying to do in terms of data collection what are we, what are we trying to do here we are trying to be informed about every aspect of the society we are living in and based on that information we'll then act right and it's it's just a very difficult job um given the inequalities so i i think we need to i think we need to be careful about uh, kind of the grandness of the um, approach we propose i think we need to work with what we already have um, you know uh, and our experience at development data lab has been there's already there's already mountains of information that hasn't been leveraged that is still waiting to be analyzed we have put out the shrug it's been a few years we put out several more data platforms since then i mean there are plenty of research papers there are plenty of policy insights that are just waiting to be drawn out of there look we are only a team of nine economists and data scientists and we are also trying to put out more data products and pushing out the research we have on our hands the reason for putting it out there is so that everyone can go at it and make it useful so i think we already have a lot to work with before kind of thinking about um new ways of data collection and digitizing everything and we don't need to wait for mis data coming from uh, anganwadi workers uh, say morning rounds of um, you know uh, counseling of mothers we don't need to wait for that there's enough we can already work with careful treatment of what we already have is first order right right but in fact this is so surprising to know that uh, uh, the mis data is so rich that even all our financial transactions our physical progress everything depends on that despite that uh, anyhow one question i really thought uh, uh, which you can enlighten us what are the constraint or limitation to doing this kind of a spatial or visualization exercise when we do this over time or over such a heterogeneous india uh, what are the challenges or what are the things you would like to share for all of us to uh, learn So yeah, one thing that I was saying, the single biggest challenge we face when trying to do um, time series analysis um, was just geographical units keep changing over time. You know, uh, the names of villages are changing, and there are hundred different ways to spell Gobindpur, for instance. So it's 
half of the time you're sitting matching geographic units to each other. So to that end, we've uh, developed se several tools. One is this, you know, geographical unit that is consistent across time that we have developed in the shrug. We've also developed, um, I mean, um, some members of the team, they developed this script for fuzzy matching um, called Masala Merge, actually, that is trained. I mean, you already have the fuzzy matching um, function on Stata, but it's trained specifically on uh, Indian names and Indian phonetics. So, and it does a pretty remarkable job. So what we're trying to do is, uh, what we have tried to do is like automate a lot of these processes, but I mean, we would not have to struggle so much if there was a common geographical frame across data sets to begin with. But to that end, I think a move in the right direction is, last year, the government launched something called the Local Government Directory, it's LGD, um, and where I believe all the, I don't know if it's a district level officers or who uploads the data, but basically at the local level, um, they're supposed to upload every time a new district is created and they're supposed to kind of uh, upload the new name, what was the old name, what was the old district it was in to allow for easy linking. So clearly someone is thinking in the right direction, but I do think, I do think that there are severe state capacity issues. Of course, there's a there's a lot of places where um, spectacular failures happen, but even if those failures are corrected, it's a difficult job uh, administrating a country that is so massive. Um, anyway, I'm I'm digressing here, but uh, I think a big issue we faced was uh, linkability across space and time, and we've developed some tools to that end. But I think uh, for people who are designing services in the future, an interesting experience we had is we collaborated with an organization, ID Insight, and the World Bank in doing these rapid household surveys last year. There were three rounds of surveys across six states. I want to say some 5,000 households in rural areas. And the idea was to track the impact of the COVID lockdown on rural economies. And what we did is we worked with them when they were creating the survey and we worked with them to ensure that the data they're collecting is directly linkable to a shark. Now, what happens with that? We've integrated real-time survey data to, you know, volumes of administrative data, and that allows you to really round out your analysis. For instance, you know, you will be able to ask things like, did villages that had a baseline, you know, high poverty rate, or those the villages that were hit the worst in terms of food insecurity and so on. So I think going forward, whenever each one of us, uh, if you know if anyone here is designing a survey or you know acts as a data originator, it's very useful to collaborate and think at the beginning of what are the design features I can introduce so that it's useful not only for my immediate need, but also for potential data use. So I think having that mindset also helps a lot. And was it a panel survey, this three round? Where yes, you it it, yeah, yeah, and this data is open access. This is actually available on the World Bank's microdata library. If you just look for World Bank Rural India Household Survey, it's available. Yes, and 5,000. Yeah, Azim Premji University also, uh, Amit Baswale said they have also revisited some of the household, not all. Uh, yes, if if, if, yes, that's a please present it sometime at our platform. This idea insight, it will be very good also to visualize having all this. Uh, uh, Yes. yes. So I think, I believe the, so the executive, uh, well, uh, the report consolidating the findings from the three rounds of survey is already available um, on the World Bank platform. So that, that's available. The data is available if people want to dig deeper and kind of look at uh, a specific section of the survey and, you know, do a deeper analysis. 
like I said, the more you talk to people, you realize the data you're wishing for, someone has already collected it. Um, so I think part of the job is just talking to people and collating information. Okay, you have this aspect and you have this aspect and kind of bringing it all together. And that's the hope for the Shark platform. Right. Uh, let me just uh, uh, also ask you about uh, integration of uh, various data sets, also the, uh, the administrative MIS and also the official status, statistics. In terms of development and the work you're doing, which all data sets uh, are you uh, referring to for India as very prominent and upcoming data sets? I'll just name a few, you can choose many. We have a uh, census, we have national sample surveys, NSO, so many. We have economic uh, census, uh, uh, we have NFHS, and then we have uh, administrative, uh, so many of MIS database. We have so many registries. Aadhaar, of course, one cannot use. Uh, 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 which all do you focus to? I, ISDS we have, and we now also have CMI. So uh, which all do you uh, uh, refer to for doing your analysis, especially in context of India? So we use the shrug because the shrug is a combination of almost all of the data sets that you have oh, Yes. If you go onto the shrug right now, you have the population census data available linked to the economic census data, linked to the, I think, some aspects of the socioeconomic and caste census data, linked to forest cover remote sensing data, linked to night lights data, um, linked to more recently the RBI, um, you know, uh, financial uh, development in terms of bank branches data. So all of these individual aspects that you are naming these data sets, all of them are useful on their own, but when combined are even more useful. Right, for instance, the economics uh, census has three rounds of, it's a comprehensive survey of 50 plus million firms in India. Um, and, you know, it has data on employment, firm ownership broken down by industries, going down all the way to, um, I'd have to check if BD rolling is there, but it's, it's very, very granular data. And then you combine that data with the population census and you look at kind of things like literacy, you look at... Um, there's a bunch of things. I think the population yes, census village directory has a lot of rich information. So the combination of all of that becomes so much more powerful because you know some variables will be in this data set, but some variables are you looking for uh, somewhere else. So all of the data sets that you have mentioned, except CMIE, are already on the shelf. So yeah, and it's open access. The idea is that these data sets are very hard to work with. So we have done the job of combining them, cleaning it up and setting it up in a ready-to-use format for the user. Because everyone doesn't have the research funding or the resources or the number of research assistants to sit and spend several years doing you know, the upfront job. And one should not have to do the same thing over and over again. That's wastage of time as a society. Right. And uh, how do you, in terms of microanalysis, uh, NSO have something called UFS, we call it Urban Frame Survey. And we use it for second stage statum when we you know, select the unit in a more uh, in, in you know in sampling we do that and for rural areas we also have have you also done any any of that kind of analysis for example in us we have blocks so they they have a lot of you know characteristic coming up from blocks and city level so have you also looked into any of those sort of things or in terms of villages cluster of villages just just for you know uh, uh, for this uh, spatial analysis do you have also worked over yeah. that yeah so i mean i can uh, so there's a paper uh, a research paper that um, by professor sam asher and paul uh, novosad um, 
It's on intergenerational mobility in India. And it basically looks at over time, what has happened to the degree of upward mobility and how does that vary based on which part of the country you are born in? You know, very high resolution uh, geographical variation in intergenerational mobility. In fact, they've even built a map. Uh, it's an interactive map and uh, they've even done one um, for Delhi. So depending on which district you live in Delhi or which neighborhood you live in Delhi, the intergenerational mobility varies so much. And they're, they're capturing intergenerational mobility in terms of, you know, your, your father has a particular uh, rank in terms of education and uh, how much further does the son go given the father's baseline level. You know, if you make a lot of progress, you're in a highly upward mobile situation. So they looked at that and how that varies. And they also did some very interesting um, analysis by um, uh, communities. Um, and they found that while there has been some closing of the mobility gap between forward caste and SC, ST uh, classified groups over time, SC groups specifically, I want to say over time, uh, Muslims, the gap between Muslims and um, uh, forward caste Hindus has just widened over time. Um, in fact, uh, you know, they have some estimates showing that the gap is as bad, if not worse, than that between whites and blacks in the US in terms of upward mobility. That's a stunning result, right? And this is just very interesting micro uh, analysis. It was possible, you can do things like this because not only are we working with high resolution data, we're also working with big data. You need very many observations to be able to cut the data several ways and still have some power to kind of have statistically um, significant analysis and the ability to draw out causal uh, inference, right? So, so that's some of the stuff that they've done. Uh, in terms of spatial analysis, there's an ongoing project on segregation at the neighborhood level in cities. So they're looking at spatial segregation and basically looking at uh, density of certain communities in a particular part of the study. What kind of an impact does that have on public service delivery? So lots of interesting, um, often, you know, interesting and often at times uncomfortable questions uh, are being asked. And um, once you have the evidence, then it's, it's, uh, it becomes hard to debate against evidence. Once you have evidence, then that's just the fact. And then you have to work towards fixing it if there's a problem. And, you know, if progress has been made, you acknowledge it. So. Right, yes. On the cast, I have also done uh, a lot of work, but that was based on national sample survey data, a decomposition analysis and uh, fairly and others. So we'll discuss some other time. Yes, one uh, uh, more question I just wanted to uh, know from you uh, that what are the work you're doing with the NDAP and uh, how much uh, uh, progressive it is and uh, what are the works your organization is doing with the National Data Analytics Platform, which Niti Aayog has been pushing. There is also NSO has come up with a draft policy or national policy on official statistics. Uh, because they, they are in cognizance of all these matters. In fact, yesterday on also uh, we, we were having some discussion and the, the, the steps are in the right direction. Uh, so how do you see our, our government also seeing uh, we as private players uh, taking us along and being open to, to experiment this kind of things and how do you see the future, how, how we should see this kind of practices uh, mainstreaming in, in our analysis for development. So, um, you know, just to be very upfront, I'm not the person from our team who has been part of the NDAP engagement. 
Um, I have worked more on the justice. Um, we put out a study on in-group judicial bias. I've worked more on that aspect and I, I do more outreach and uh, kind of project partnerships and so on. So I'm not the point person on the team who has been working a lot um, on the NDAP project, um, but I do believe from the conversations that I've had with my colleagues that things are moving pretty fast. Um, of course, uh, you know, given the setback over the past two months, I, I would like to say that all, all departments of the government are almost kind of in overdrive and trying to deal with the challenges, not even the government, even, you know, even civil society member um, organizations such as us, like, you know, we parked a lot of our projects because honestly, with everything going on in India right now, it almost feels thrown deaf to be working on anything and not putting efforts um, towards the pandemic. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm digressing again. Um, I don't have a lot of detailed information about, you know, the timelines of the NDAP, how close to completion the project is, and so on. I do believe there is, um, I want to say there, there, there was a press uh, declaration about what the vision of the project is and what really they're trying to achieve. I, that is still the best place to kind of get a grasp of uh, what is trying to be done but like i said it's a step in the uh, right direction you know we are working outside of the government we've created something like the shrug the government thinking along these principles of let's have a common geographical identifier and like kind of thinking in this um you know let's aggregate everything and kind of just having this big open access approach is a win then you know it's like the job is already half done by the time the data is already and it, it gives us a lot more room and space to operate with. I do think that um, public-private partnerships are the way to go uh, to kind of um, improve the data landscape in India. Um, we just need to convince everyone about the positive externalities from working together and making um, data transparent and open access. And uh, you just need to be very, the incentives need to be developed. And this is something I, ha I had briefly talked about. Uh, we need funders uh, of research or funders of you know, policy programs and whatnot to start really focusing on um, initiatives to improve data infrastructure of countries. Um, in terms of crisis, data becomes so very important. Um, so those, those incentives are something that every actor needs to start to think about. Right. Well, just a last question, not one, just two. Uh, that one was regarding technology. How do you see uh, in Indian context the role of artificial intelligence or blockchain, this kind of technology enabling data uh, uh, to, to improve our uh, uh, analytics? And the second one was that, what do you think in your view, uh, in terms of economic sectors or social sector, development sector, uh, where, where the machine learning and this kind of analytics would be of? Uh, much use and not much use. Oh, so on the first bit, like, uh, sorry, on AI for no worries on AI for public policy. Um, I think you know in developed countries already there are very many examples of how uh, machine learning is being implemented to solve uh, public policy challenges. Um, you, you have kind of machine learning techniques being used for allocation of staff to fire departments across cities to estimate need in real time and so on. And you've uh, had use machine learning algorithms for, in the criminal justice system. Um, but again, I mean, there's always, it, it is very promising, but we also have to move cautiously. Um, 
We have to think through about the biases that may be integrated into the programs that are being created. That said, for instance, you know, in India, I'll, I'll talk about the justice system for a quick second. We do have an issue of overburdened courts. We do have an issue of, um, you know, uh, long, um, long duration between the filing and the closing of a case. So there have been some efforts. Um, I believe there is a committee with several civil society members and they're working on um, alternative dispute resolutions, and online dispute resolutions. And there has been some talk about how um, AI can be integrated to kind of uh, speed up the litigation process in the country. So that's that's one place where some, some innovation um, is already underway. Uh, of course, a big um, a big place where AI has a role to play is um, the health sector, um, and you have very many uh, success stories from developed countries. Um, again, in India's case, like I said, you have you have the data science skills. You have very many data scientists coming out of the IITs and you know uh, working. Uh, creating these fantastic data products and launching a new startup every day. Um, I think I think the bridge between people who think about the social science big picture questions and people with these, you know, um, hard-coded data skills, that bridge is still um, in the works. Um, to, yeah, to answer your question, I think the returns from AI and machine learning uh, to public policy challenges in India and in developing countries in general are huge uh, to kind of figuring out poverty targeting uh, and things like that's kind of what we're doing. I mean, we're using big data. Um, we have used um, some degree of machine. We've trained a neural network for the work that we have been doing that we've recently done on figuring out in-group bias by gender and religion in the Indian judiciary. So we're doing that as well, but we need to be very, very cautious because there's a lot of heterogeneity in the underlying context of public policy challenges. These challenges aren't as, you know, they, they aren't as straightforward. So we need to be very careful about the tools we are applying across contexts. So I, I guess I will just give a very unsatisfying answer that yes, it is very promising, and uh, but we need to move cautiously um, and make sure that we're um, capturing and we are kind of um, uh, acknowledging the heterogeneity and the complexity of the context that we're working in. Right, because in India, the private sector is really moving forward. And uh, when we also interact with uh, our India data scientists doing wonderful work in Dubai, uh, in, in South Africa, in other parts of the world, uh, but somehow I, uh, the push for the, the private sector or the startup is really constraining. Uh, we hope that, that it improves over time. And uh, we are so uh, uh, thankful to you for taking out uh, time today and covering all these points. Uh, uh, Aditi and Aditi has really recovered from the COVID last week only, so she has very good uh, energy, zeal, and I would say enthusiasm for uh, uh, right kind of approach which our uh, country also needs today. Uh, having open sciences in in data and uh, really highlighting so many good points also for uh, young uh, data enthusiasts and also for those in policy uh, policy practitioners. And uh, uh, with that, let me just. Uh, 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 wrap the session, but also go to Aditi to have a final word or uh, any way forward suggestion you have. Thank you so much for um, you know this platform. I think the questions were very very engaging. They kind of kept me on my feet, and I'm also walking 
away from this session with a lot to think about. And uh, yeah, I guess just do do explore some of the open data products, um, sorry, open data platforms that are on Development Data Lab's website um, and do get in touch if you're using them and if you're struggling with some aspect or you're looking for some specific information. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. I know it's, I know a lot of us um, have been very uh, troubled and you know have been constantly anxious about our loved ones given everything that is going on and we're all uh, suffering with limited emotional mind space at the moment so I'm, I'm very grateful to everyone for finding um, the time and you know for giving me uh, for listening to me talk about um, you know the state of data in the country right now I know I know it's not easy to kind of compartmentalize worries and think about um, you know, other things at this moment. So I just hope everyone is staying safe um, and, you know, just sending best wishes and uh, wishing good health on everyone who's here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Aditi. And uh, uh, again, the website of Development Data Lab is devdatalab.org. Uh, one can connect to uh, Aditi and uh, see their work on their website. It's an extensive website and you can all learn a lot. And as Aditi highlighted that it's practice in data, which is much more important. That is why I also asked. And uh, once again, let me congratulate Aditi for this excellent uh, presentation and talk and uh, uh, excellent work uh, Aditi is leading with Development Data Lab. Uh, for its India office and working in India. And uh, we are so thankful to Aditi Bhaumit uh, today uh, for uh, delivering this talk on an experiment with open science in India, machine is tool for understanding economic development. Under our series, the state of, uh, the state of statistics has, has, has data discourses at Impre Impact and Policy Research Institute. So once again, thank you everyone, those who have joined here on Facebook Live and watch later on our other uh, platform, YouTube and other podcasts. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aditi. I hope to uh, 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 catch up with you soon in future and uh, wish, you all, wish you all the best of health. Thank you. Have a nice day.